Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. This week, we're joined by Tracy McGrady and Jared Dudley. Let's go. This episode of the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick is presented by SeatGeek, the perfect place to buy and sell tickets. We're also brought to you by SoFi. If you have student debt, look them up. Refinancing your student loans with SoFi saves an average of $19,000, plus gets you free access to their entrepreneur program. Visit SOFI.com to learn more. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, J.J. Reddick. Welcome back to the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. I'd like to start this week's show with one of my favorite quotes of all time. The quote is, the fight is won or lost far away from witnesses, behind the lines, in the gym, and out there on the road, long before I dance under those lights. That quote, of course, was from Muhammad Ali. I think it always resonated with me because I've always enjoyed the process, the process of training, the process of preparing, whether it's for a season or for a game. And that process has always given me confidence going into competition because I know I'm prepared for the fight. I think the first time I heard that quote, I was probably a junior or senior in high school. And even then, it really resonated with me. I'm recording this on Saturday morning. I found out last night, like a lot of people, that the great Muhammad Ali had passed away. I was lying on my couch and I had just refreshed my Twitter feed and and there it was. And, and it was a very emotional moment. And it's always sad to see anyone pass, but Muhammad Ali was not only an athletic icon, but also a social and cultural icon. So in honor of him, I would just like to observe a moment of silence. Thanks. All right. Now let's get to this week's guest. We are joined by NBA legend, seven-time All-Star, Tracy McGrady, also known as T-Mac. T-Mac, thanks for coming on the show. All love, man. Anytime, bro. You and I got to see each other recently. We we both were on The Jump a couple weeks ago, the, the new show on ESPN that airs in the afternoon. I got to say, man, you seem very comfortable on camera, and you're really good at it. Is this something that has come naturally to you? You know what, Jay? I've always been myself and just stayed in my lane. You know, I, I really not try to be that guy to always be politically correct. You know, I just I speak my mind. And, um, you know, sometimes, even when I was playing in my career, it got me in some hot water. But, you know, that's I, I live with that. Um, I was never taught to do this. You know, I came out of high school, didn't go to college. And, you know, I, I learned on the fly. 
I learned on the fly, and it's something that I didn't really see myself doing. But the format of the show is is something that's uh, for me. I like the angle. Uh, love working with Rachel, and it's a fun gig. The show seems like a, a lot of fun. The format is great. It's a little less uh, formal or stuffy than some other shows on television. I'm not just right. saying ESPN, but it's 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 almost like a podcast. I mean, that's kind of the environment of everything. Um, I like it, I like yeah. I, I like to just sit and have a conversation, right? And not be too analytical, man, and just right. you know, <laughs> talk about the game. You you mentioned that you didn't think you were going to do television, or you didn't know that you were going to do television. Uh, as your career was sort of winding down and, and you were, uh, I think you finished up in San Antonio in 2013. What did you want to do? Did you have any clue or are you just like, you know what, I'm going to take some time off and figure it out? No, I, I got a lot of stuff going on in China. So I was back and forth doing some business over there, whether it was doing some, some basketball camps or teaming up with Diao and doing some stuff with him. So I really didn't know. I mean, I just thought I was just, just going to continue just doing my work over there here i i just didn't have a clue i mean i have four kids and you know i was going to take some time to just raise my kids you know go on vacation with them my boys like to play basketball my my girls like to play volleyball so just being at those events you know just being active and being here and present and, um, you know, catching up on stuff that I miss out. You know how it is when we do so much traveling during the season. You miss out on a lot of stuff. So that was my thing. I just wanted to sit back, relax, and just enjoy my kids and my family. I'm always fascinated by the transition sort of into, I guess, the real world for any athlete. Your lives are so regimented and structured. And it's really, it is difficult. And we've we, I've talked about it on the podcast before, but it is difficult as you're kind of coming to the end of your career to kind of figure out what you want to do. And, and similar to you, so much of, you know, my thought process has to do with my family and, and my kids. I got a, a second kid on the way coming in mm-hmm. August, two little boys. And thank you, man. And, uh, and so much of it is, is that, uh, so I, I mean, I, I guess I'm kind of in the same boat where it's like, I don't know what I want to do, but, uh, <laughs> I'll figure it out, I guess. It I would happens, like to take man. some time off. Like my dream, I don't know why this is. Did you? Was there anything you did like right when you retired? You're like, I couldn't do this when I played. Because for me, like, I really want to go and spend Christmas and New Year's in a ski town and ski. I don't know why. I've never you know skied what? in my life. But that, that's I, the one thing I want to do. Listen, bro. I've been trying to plan a ski trip with my family for years. Every spring break, we're saying we're going to Colorado because we have a lot of friends that go to Colorado and and, uh, take ski trips. And I've been trying to plan this for years, and I never make it. But one (laughs) one thing I wanted to do, I always wanted to go on the road to an NFL game. (laughs) I always wanted to do that. So I did this year. I went to uh, a Seattle home game. I flew up to Seattle, went up there, chilled with Russell Wilson for a night, and uh, enjoyed the game. I've never done that. There's so much that you sort of miss out on. Isn't it? Obviously, we have great lives. And look, nobody's complaining about our off-season. Our off-seasons are amazing. I mean, we, we get a lot of time to ourselves, and a lot of right. time we get to either travel or, or spend with family or whatever. Um, I want to go back to something you said earlier, just in, in terms of your political correctness or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say you got yourself in trouble, but you, you said something a little controversial recently when Steph Curry was named the unanimous MVP. Right. Uh, you said that the league was watered down. It was clearly a sign that the league was watered down. Before I asked you about it, though, 
Adam Silver the other night when he did his pre-finals press conference, he was quoted as saying about the NBA, this is some of the best basketball many of us have experienced in our lifetimes. So it, it kind of is the opposite of what you said. I want to give you a chance. I want to. I want to give you a chance to to sort of say why you think the league is watered down, and then I want to talk through that. Well, I had this conversation numerous of times with my friends and and with people that are is in the same field as me in the media. And what I'm simply saying is, if you look, if you watch the Eastern Conference playoffs, if you look at Cleveland versus everybody else, there was no chance of anybody beating Cleveland. And I'm listening, I'm listening to everybody when they're, you know, the reporters when they're talking about the series. It's like, you know, nobody has a chance. Well, why don't they have a chance? Because they don't have the talent, right? So if nobody is even close to beating Cleveland in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, it, because of lack of talent, then we're talking about, what, 15 or 14 other teams in the Eastern Conference, and, and nobody is even close to even competing with them. They just swept through the, the freaking Eastern Conference. And I can't even remember a time when it was this watered down in the Eastern Conference. So that's pretty much all I'm speaking about. It's just that I think the talent level um, in, in terms of teams – is just not competitive. It's just not there. Yes, we have superstars in our league, but after those guys, I mean, it, it truly from the bottom. No, it's it's not good. It is just not good. Okay, we're not going to argue. We we both can agree. Like we have mutual respect for each other and mutual respect for errors. But there are some people who would say that the sort of the early two thousands, late nineties, the post Jordan, pre LeBron era. There's a lot of people that would say the Eastern Conference was pretty weak back then, too. And I believe it was the 76ers when they made the finals that year. They beat the Lakers, and that was the only Lakers loss. So I I guess to me, if you look back at that time, you you could say the league was watered down then. No, you cannot. No. Yes. Lakers maybe not in terms of maybe not in terms of superstar talent, but in terms of good teams, maybe in the Eastern Conference. Are we saying the Eastern uh, Conference or are we saying the whole league? League-wide. No, you don't think the Lakers, Sacramento was pretty good, Portland was pretty good, San Antonio. You think those but teams that's the, back but, then? But, but that's the yeah, West right now. The three or four. I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but that those that's three or four teams you, you mentioned. And then the teams that came out of the East, they lost in the finals to Lakers. They got killed. 2003, Spurs won. That, listen, you, okay, we're talking about two of the, the greatest players to ever play the game, though, Kobe and Shaq. One of them is the most dominant. The other one's the second best <laughs> two guard in the league. I mean, we really <laughs> seriously talking about no, the Lakers I'm not, back then? No, like, no, 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 no. I'm not saying the Lakers weren't dominant and the Lakers weren't a great. That three-peat was one of the greatest For sort sure. of teams constructed ever, ever. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that in terms of the overall talent of the league, though. Like, I think the Cavs. Maybe you disagree. I think the Cavs are a good basketball team. I think they're a really good basketball team. And in some years, in the past 15 years, I would say that they would be an easy, not an easy, but they're, they're a championship level team. And maybe they won't win this year because right. Golden State's that good. But, but, but if, even if you go back to the early 2000s, I mean, you still had competitive 
teams in the East. The Indiana team with Reggie and, and Jermaine O'Neal and those guys were competitive. The Detroit team, the Boston teams, Philly. I mean, New Jersey made it to the finals twice. You don't think with Jason Kidd and Richard Jefferson and them guys, you think they were weak and Kenya Martin? And they all lost to the Western Conference team. True indeed, but what I'm saying, it was more competitive. The East is not competitive. Are you serious? you telling me the East is competitive. I wouldn't say the East is as competitive as certainly when, when LeBron was in Cleveland and the big three were in Boston and even our Orlando teams, the East right. probably wasn't as competitive as when that. you it played early that. and the, the Bucks had Ray and Glenn and Sam Cassell. And listen, there, there was definitely some good teams. But I guess my point is like the Steph Curry winning unanimous MVP versus the league being watered down. To me, it seems like two separate well, conversations. This, I don't it, think, it is, it is I don't think Steph Curry being a, I don't think that him winning unanimous MVP is a, is sort of an indictment on our no, no, league no, right now. No, because I will, no. I will say this, what his team and what he did this year, if you look historically, it's as good as it gets. I agree with you on that. And it is two separate conversations. The, the reason being, the voters are telling me that it's watered down if you're going to give Steph Curry the unanimous MVP, the first one ever, when Michael Jordan, set the, they set the record for 72-10, and 10, and it was three other guys got first-place votes. So you telling me that his season was just so superb, so superb that it is greater than anybody that's ever won the MVP in our league? I don't necessarily think that. I, you know what's here's a here's a separate question, but it goes along with what we're talking about. Do you think that the way people vote now is maybe different than it was fifteen or twenty years in terms of the tools and the the analytics available to yeah, us? Yeah, I think so, and I yeah, I think we know who's voting, and um, you know, a, a lot has to do with voters might not like a particular player. And that's why they didn't give him a vote. I mean, let's just be honest with it. I would agree with that. I, I, I'm not saying that's necessarily like a, a, a knock on a voter or a media member, but certainly that plays into it. It plays a part, even if it's sure. even if it's subconsciously and it's in the back of your head. I, I get that. No, I listen. There's no hate. There's no knock on Steph. He is he is phenomenal. I mean, I love watching it. I played with the kid's dad. I watched him in Toronto. You know, we yeah. played one on one. So. If anybody think I'm hating, I mean, there's no hate in my blood whatsoever. I'm just saying, I just don't understand that he comes along. Yes, they had a phenomenal season, but damn, I mean, MJ got five MVPs and Braun has four MVPs. And you mean to tell me these guys <laughs> didn't win unanimous and he comes along and they win unanimous? Uh, it's an interesting argument. It certainly is. One, one little anecdote. When I was kind of researching all this last night, Shaq only won one MVP? Yes. How Kobe, is that possible? Kobe's <laughs> only won one MVP. Oh, that's I mean, crazy. Not to take any way from Steve Nash. He was phenomenal. But damn, I mean, we're talking about Shaquille, the most dominant big in our era, probably possibly ever. And I don't understand, bro. It is a little confusing. The Shaq one really confused me. It, it, it really confused me. T-Mac, give me a second to tell my listeners about SoFi. All right, as you guys know, SoFi supports this podcast. So I'm going to talk with SoFi member Kevin Flamia, founder of menswear brand RFM. Kevin refinanced his student loans with SoFi and by doing so, got access to their entrepreneur program, which helped Kevin launch his business. 
Kevin, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So if you could talk a little bit about how SoFi helped you specifically in regards to business school. I think the biggest thing was the access to capital. They made it super easy to actually disperse the loan. And then they were super accommodating in letting me kind of pursue what I wanted to after school rather than forcing that initial down payment and ongoing month-to-month fees that we're all used to. They allowed me to kind of defer that for a year as part of their entrepreneurship program. So for that piece, super grateful. Is there any specific failure in your business life that you learned a great lesson from that has impacted you and helped you develop now? I think the biggest thing was being dishonest with myself, just trying to really understand what drives me and what motivates me, what makes me get up out of bed every day. I think that was a big gap that I tried to solve for a few years, but feel like I finally found it. Well, I appreciate the time, Kevin. Thank you very much. Now back to our guest, Tracy McGrady. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Well, I'm going to get off the MVP talk for a second, but I want to I want to still continue to ask you about sort of this idea that the league is watered down because I think it's really interesting to talk about the league being watered down as it relates to sort of the re- rebuilding process that so many teams have embraced. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious. So I came in the league in 2006. When you were in the league early in your career, let's say 99 to 2005-ish, like those, those first six or seven years, was the, the tanking, the, the rebuilding, the sort of building assets, building through the draft, was that talk as prevalent as it is I, now? You know what? I don't believe it was that prevalent. I don't remember any tanking back in those days. I just remember, you know, teams doing whatever it takes to, to try to make the playoffs and improve their teams. Now, maybe I was naive and, and young and really didn't understand uh, the league at the time, but I don't remember that, bro. I, I promise you I don't. I mean, we were a, a team in Toronto that, you know, we were building with young talent, with veteran talent, and it took us, what, about four or five years. I think we made the playoffs in franchise history. I think it was our fourth year of existence. Uh, with the Raptors, and we made the playoffs, so we just continued to build. So I don't know. I, I if we didn't do it back then, then I just was, you know, I, I was naive to it. If it was happening, it seems like I, I'm obviously a fan of basketball, and I watched a ton of NBA growing up. And I was in college in the early 2000s when when you were sort of dominating in Orlando. So I, I don't I don't remember it being as prevalent and I certainly don't remember it being talked about as much and one of the interesting things that's happened and it's crazy to me is that teams are essentially saying publicly like yeah we're we're going to try to lose to improve our position for the future I don't like it I don't I'm not a fan of it as a player and I'm I'm certainly not a fan of it as a fan of the game and I think it does a disservice to NBA fans everywhere not just those specific teams oh that that's bad for it's bad for the game if I'm a fan I hate it I want to see you know I, I pay my money to come see a competitive team a team to possibly make the playoffs I don't understand it I, I think it's you know, it's so much talked about now because we live in a social social media era, era and, uh, you know, everything gets puts, puts out there. But I don't know, man. Uh, I, I think back then when I came in, you still had a bunch of old vets. You know, the, the league wasn't relatively young like it is these days. I mean, you know, your veteran players on some of these teams are 22, 23 years old. So, you know, I, I think going back to – putting a rule in um, to grow our game a little bit more. I mean, yeah, the, the one and done, 
or go to college for one year is cool, but I think they need to implement putting two years on these guys to kind of just improve the uh, the talent of the game, man, and, and have these guys mature and, and, and stay longer in college because, you know, this this tanking thing is just not fun. It's not, it's not <laughs> great for the game. It isn't great. For, I, I, I'm, I'm not with it either. And it's funny you mentioned that you feel like the league is getting younger Maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I feel You're the same older, way. JJ. No, but listen, I every year I'm like, God dang it, man! Like, how am I? Like, I feel like I'm still pretty young, and I'm like the the second oldest guy in the team, the third oldest guy in the team. I mean, my last year in Orlando, I was like 27, and I was damn near the oldest guy in the team. It was young, man. It is, it is. young, bro. You it know, is. You out there guard 19 year olds? <laughs> yeah, right, right. I got to guard Devin Booker. He's 19. I mean, right? geez, dude, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I got two more questions for you about your prime era. So, so I'm I'm kind of including the late '90s here, early 2000s. Your first, you know, seven or eight years in the league. I'm curious who's one like really underrated player from that era, and who's one guy that's maybe maybe a little overrated. Um, man, for sure, underrated was Jamal Mashburn. Oh, man, look. Other than Kobe being one of the toughest opponents. Jamal Mashburn, to me, was a handful, bro. I mean, he was 6'8", just had game, know how to use his body on the post. I could never block his shot. Um, he just know how to put his body on me. And I remember one game, we were in New Orleans, and um, I was playing against Mash, and Darrell Armstrong was his teammate after, you know, we, we traded him to New Orleans. And DA told me that, you know, I was a guy that Jamal Mashburn was always gunning for. Like, I was that dude, right? So <laughs> I'm playing him that night, and he gives me 40 that night. And, of course, I had 42, but, you know, that's here and there. <laughs> had to throw that in. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, man, he was um, he was just a tough cover for me because he could shoot the ball. I mean, he had handles. He could put you on the post. He, he pretty much did everything. He was, he was just a tough guard for me. Uh, overrated? I don't really want to call nobody out for being old. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If you, if you want to get politically correct on me all of a sudden, that's fine. I thought you were going to give me somebody, but we don't have to get there. We don't have to go there. We don't have to go there. I love the Jamal Mashburn one, man. That's good. I can't think of nobody that was overrated though. No, I can't. That's fair enough. The Jamal Mashburn was good. He was a great scorer. If I'm not, uh, mistaken I think his career was cut a little short he had a back injury is that right you know what Jay I don't know man Something. I don't know I feel like he retired at like 31 or 32 I, I'm gonna have to fact check this if I turn my phone on right now it'll mess up our feed so I'm not gonna do it uh, second thing that has happened on the jump and I'm sorry to bring this up but I, it's, it's this whole issue that I sort of want to talk about and you being a superstar I think there's nobody more perfect to talk about it with so so you and Robert Ori were on there one day <sighs> And um, Rachel mentioned the number of rings. And clearly you were just making a playful comment to him. It wasn't like serious, but you're just like, can I have one, you know? And uh, his response was interesting, you know, and this this sort of response, you know, went viral or whatever. And it was, you know, it was sort of this idea of. You know, you not deserving one, and Robert deserve—I don't deserve seven or however many one. And and I I think my question is though, do you think it's unfair that certain superstars are essentially indicted as as inferior for not reaching 
like a certain level of team success? Well, yes and no. I think there's some luck have to play on your part. I'm a prime example, you know, put up some big numbers, hell of a player, but I was never on a team, just never on a team that can contend for a championship. I mean, we just didn't have the talent. Uh, if you look at me and Orlando, I had the talent at first, but, you know, we didn't know Grant Hill wasn't going to be healthy. I get to Houston, you thought me and Yao was going to be that tandem, but, you know, he had some issues with his foot. That just, that never happened. And then when we did put together a championship team, my knee had blown out because we had Ron Artest, we had Shane Battier, myself, and, and, and Yao. But my knee had blown out, and I was no good. But, yeah, I mean, what we we really are gauged on championships nowadays. But it's just some guys are just not fortunate enough to be on teams to contend for championships. Or some guys run into a Shaq and Kobe or a Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley's uh, case and, and Patrick Ewing, all these greats, Carl Malone, John Stockton. Like, <laughs> you just... You know, it's, it's just the era that you play in, and yeah. uh, you're just not fortunate. I mean, look at yourself. Look what happened to you guys. You know, you're yeah. all a prime example. You, you just yeah. just think when, you know, Steph goes down and uh, y'all have an opportunity, and then here comes two of your guys going down, and it just knocks you completely out of the playoffs. So it's, it's just some luck and just being in the right situation, man, and having the right personnel. It's just It happens, bro. There's a lot of things. You're you're exactly right. There's so much involved here, and, and I'm I'm going to mention a couple names. And this is certainly not to knock guys, but you mentioned Barkley, you mentioned Patrick Ewing, uh, Dominique Wilkins. You could put yep. in there, yep. and and those guys, Malone, Stockton, right? So, so those guys. So much of that to me was the era that yeah. they played in. Yeah, like like with Dominique, like his Hawks teams in the, in the '80s and in early they '90s, Boston. Like, Boston, Detroit, Detroit, and Chicago. Going, yes, yes. Going against those guys. It, it mean, wasn't like they weren't on good teams. He was. He had good teams in Atlanta. I think one year they actually had the number one seed uh, in the East. Uh, I think in the nineties. But mm-hmm. but you get to the playoffs, and now you're now you're facing a different beast. And these teams, like you said, so now you factor in the way that pieces fit, the way that those Boston teams in the eighties were constructed, the way that right. those Bulls teams in the nineties were constructed. And I read this article last night. It was a lengthy article. Bill Simmons wrote it uh, right after you had retired in 2013. Oh, that was a this, great article. It was great a great article. article. And so much of what he talked about, though, was that you specifically, you never had the right pieces around you. No. Were you aware of it at the time? Or were you saying to yourself, no, we got a chance to win? Like, in retrospect, no. if it's crazy to look at who started. I mean, he, he went through the whole list of guys. And if you have a chance, read the article. He went through the whole list of guys that started playoff games with you. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not exactly, it's Pippen and Kobe. and It's not these level players. And, I didn't have and that. And it, it had to have been frustrating. Yeah. It was. It was very frustrating. But, you know, what can I do? I mean, I... I can't go up there and force management's hand to, you know, handpick guys. And I mean, my job was just to go out there and compete with what they threw at me. And uh, those are the guys that I had. I mean, we talked about this on the show when we were up 3-1 against freaking Detroit. I'm out there with two rookies, bro. We talked about <laughs> the number one seed. <laughs> I'm out there yeah. with two rookies. We go up 3-1 and uh, lose that series. But 
No, I, I really never had the personnel to compete for a championship. And, I mean, it. I look back on it, yeah, I, I, I hate that I didn't get that chance. But, you know, personally, my own personal uh, accomplishments in the league, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty content with that. Yeah, I wish I had an opportunity to uh, have some team success. But, you know, sometimes it just it just doesn't go that way. My wife has to remind me of this every time after the season ends. She's like, "It's this is not in your control. You can't control whether or not you win a championship. Obviously, right. I'm a lesser caliber player than you, but if you're competitive and you want to win and that's that's your priority, there's a level of frustration there when it doesn't happen every single time. I want to lift this kind of quote from Bill Simmons' article, and it's talking about something that Jeff Van Gundy said to Bill. Mm-hmm. So, so Jeff Van Gundy wishes people didn't overrate playoff success when they evaluated players. He believes the line between success and failure is much thinner and more random than anyone wants to admit. Mm. That really stuck home with me. They brought up the 2013 when you were with the Spurs, the Ray Allen three mm-hmm. that won game six. Yep. The crazy part about that play to me was, so LeBron misses the three, right? and Bosh has the chance to get the offensive rebound. Ginobili... If he hadn't tried to get the rebound instead of just ran to Ray, he doesn't fall down and Ray doesn't get the three. That's to me, it's not a lucky play, but a lot had to happen there for right. that to work out for the Heat. On that, on that play. But exactly. what, even, even with that, though, let's say they won a championship. What does that even mean for me, though? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I was rented for two months. I didn't play with them. Right. I, was, I was pretty much rented for two months because they had some injuries. Now, me as a competitor and you know, the the level of play that I had in my career, it was it was great opportunity to be on that stage because I never got that opportunity before in my playing career when, you know, I was at the top. So I, I, I cherish that moment. But, you know, if we was to win that championship, I mean, how can I really feel like a champion, though? You know what I mean? Like, because I didn't – uh, the great fulfillment – and yes. becoming a champion is going through the journey, right? And yes. I didn't really go through that journey, so I'm sitting on the bench I, like, damn, I got a fake like I, I'm I'm really into this if we was to win. <laughs> yeah. The it's funny you mentioned that because that's a conversation that I have with my teammates all the time, whether it's on a plane or a bus, is like would you let's say you get to the end of your career and you and you you haven't won and you're you're not playing as much or maybe you're not playing as all at all like would it mean as much to win at that point as it would when you're in the prime of your career contributing in whatever way you contribute for me right. it's obviously different than the way you contributed into the prime of your career but but I agree with you it's it, it'd be totally different you want to be essentially fulfilled as 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 an essential cog as as part of that journey no i want to ask you then question. what is what, what is the best team that you played on was it the 08 team that won 22 in a row was that the best team uh yeah, I think that was the best team. But I mean, even with that team, that was a year that Yao actually was having foot problems and with that run, that twenty two games in a row, I think he missed like thirteen plus games or something like that. Um I don't even think we had him in the playoffs that year. Matter of fact, we did not. So I can't even say that was the best team. Dikembe was our starting center, um that And he was year like fifty one at the time. <laughs> know what i mean deke was so great i mean one of the best teammates you could have still was getting it done on the defensive end but yeah he was actually our starting center uh in the playoffs against utah that year because yao was out 
I mean, so I, I don't know what was my best team, man. It's, I, I hate to even think about it, what could have been, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's tough. I, I, I get it, man. I get it, man. I, I, I even think back sometimes to, like, my – Early career, 09, 2010 in Orlando. I mean, I was coming off the bench, but those teams, were, we were oh, so close. And it, y'all it had still a, is y'all like. Y'all had I, a pretty exciting team. <laughs> y'all had some depth. Yeah. I mean, y'all had the perfect squad. The personnel y'all had was, was pretty damn good. And y'all should have competed for a couple years. I, I felt like our, our pieces all fit in, yeah. in the right sort of way that championship teams are built. Yeah. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Tracy, I'm not sure when was the last time you bought tickets to a game or concert, but it can be a hassle getting a good seat, especially for a good price. That's why the best place to go when you need tickets is SeatGeek. The process is easy and it makes perfect sense. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events and they'll let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I use it all the time because it's simple and it works. Oh, and best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. They show you the full ticket price from start to finish and never try to trick you with huge fees on the checkout page. Now, pay attention to this next part because it's really important. My listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. That's 20 bucks right in your pocket. And to get it all, all you have to do is this. Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Then enter promo code JJ. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So go support them like they support this podcast. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. Now back to our guest, Tracy McGrady. I have another question for you, sort of as this superstar. A lot of people, especially in your Orlando days, you led the league in scoring when you're at 32 a game. You were known as a scorer, uh, but you were actually one of the best passers in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I'm curious, because LeBron's this way, but not many superstars are this way. Were you ever conscious in a game about getting your teammates off and using that skill of of your passing, or were you, was your mindset? No, I'm going to go into this game and get buckets. I was pretty much my mindset was to get buckets, but I always made the right <laughs> basketball play. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if if I'm single coverage, my job is to score the ball. But I know if teams are going to double me, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make the right basketball play. And I think LeBron gets you know used to getting knocked for that at times, and and rightfully so. I I, I think. You know, in crunch time or at the end of the games, you know, sometimes he could take that shot. But, you know, a a lot of times he just made the right basketball play. And I I think a guy of his caliber, uh, you know, in times like that, you have to be a little bit more selfish. I understand. I get it. I've been there. But at the end of the day, I mean, this guy, he, he knows how to win. You're going to need your teammates later on in the season. And he's just, you know, I, I think at those times he's building their confidence up. And I think that's what I was doing. I was just, I, I knew I needed my teammates to win games. So I just tried to build their confidence up. No matter if they miss, you know, four shots in a row, I was coming back to you. Don't be afraid to shoot the ball. But yeah, I was definitely, uh, my mindset was getting straight buckets. 
<laughs> and you did, and you did. So, so, so it, it was almost more of an instinctual thing then than a than sort of a calculated, conscious thing of saying, "No, I have a, I'm a great passer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass the ball tonight, or I'm gonna try to get so and so going." It was no, I'm gonna get buckets and I'm gonna be aggressive. But you knew you were good enough at making the right reads. Yeah, I mean, and it's just knowing the game, knowing the flow of the game. You know, every game is different, so you you can recognize the flow of the game. And, um, you know, I I just – I was a student in the game. I knew what guys like to do in terms of individual guarding me. I knew what teams like to do. And uh, I just played off of that. This has been awesome stuff, and I really appreciate it, Tracy. I have one more question for you, and it's a current question. Good. Does Cleveland have a chance in this series? Is Larry Nance and Mark Price and all them suiting up? <laughs> Should they come <laughs> They come back, Craig Elo? <laughs> all those guys in their prime. Oh, man. They're the prime. They, I, listen, they have a chance. That's why they're here. But I got Golden State in six. I'm going to tell you this. If Golden State wins tomorrow, uh, game two, then this might end in five, man. Because LeBron, I said on the show the other day, LeBron – K-Love and Kyrie has to, they have to average 65-plus points in this series, along with these other guys being able to contribute. I mean, Jr. I know your hand hurting, bro, but, you know, he's got to give them something. Give them 10 points. Schumpert, Shannon Fry. See, Shannon Fry, I don't think, will be a factor in this series, reason being is they're switching everything, so they're not going to double right. off, off a pick and roll. They're not going to double team LeBron and leave you know one of those guys open, which happened to be a shooter. They're not going to do that, so they're wiping him out with just switching everything, keeping body contact. So he can't be a factor. I, I don't know who else can really help them. You know what I mean? Like the difference in between Golden State and the Cleveland other guys is they have pretty much a couple two-way players, you know, guys that can play both ends of the court. Um, a guy like Andre Iguodala, he can have an impact on the game without even scoring, right? Yeah. Livingston comes in, he does his job, posts you up, shoot right over you. He doesn't turn the ball over, he's solid. Barbosa, he's a spark. I mean, they just I think they just have too much, and you look at the guys coming off Cleveland bench, if they're not scoring, I mean, are they productive? Not really. Delhi, uh, if he's not shooting the ball well, getting in the paint, you know, throwing lobs to Tristan Thompson, he's just not, you know, he's not a factor in this series. So I see it going six, but if they win tomorrow, I'm going to put five on it. Okay. All right. I, I actually, I think Golden State's going to win in five, but I, I would say the, the one thing that was interesting, again, we're recording this on Saturday, but the one thing that was interesting in game one was that Cleveland played a certain way during the entire Eastern Conference playoffs. Mm-hmm. And because of Golden State's personnel, and it's only because of their specific personnel, right? they switch everything. Yep. So it forced Cleveland into playing iso ball, which they're just not as good as as no. when they spread the floor and they're driving and kicking and and they're moving the ball and they're shooting threes. I mean, that's really what allowed them to win the Eastern Conference playoffs. Well, well you can't play Golden State's way. You you just can't yes. do it. Yes, you don't get caught. I mean, you could get away with that in the Eastern Conference, you know. But playing with these guys, you cannot do that. They will exploit you. I thought they did a great job in that first quarter with coming out and trying to make Draymond Green beat them because he had a lot lot of wide-open shots. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they kind of got away from that. 
And Golden State is too good. They're, they're too smart. They know how to, you know, get their mismatches out there on the basketball court. And, I mean, if you're going to allow Golden State to beat you when their two top guys only combine for 20 points. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That, yeah, that it really is. It really is. And I, I just think LeBron has to do too much. It's funny that, you know, this guy averaged – what did he average last year in the, in the finals? Like 38 or something like that? Yeah, thir- 35 plus, I 30, think. Yeah. 35, yeah. So, you know, everybody was saying, well, wait till he get Kevin Love and Kyrie back. Well, they're back. And I still seeing him have to be that guy he was in the finals last year. That's just what I, I, that's just what I see. He has to be aggressive, LeBron. He can't be passive and have Kyrie take that many, you know, as many shots as him. He has to be the enforcer, man, and, and, and make plays. He has to rebound. He has to defend. He has to do it all. And the, the one thing is, is he's got to play 44, 45 minutes, and he's going to get worn out. I just don't see him being able to last, you know, that long to be efficient enough to win this series. It did seem like towards the end of last year's final that the weight and sort of the, the load that LeBron was carrying during those finals, it, it did take its toll eventually. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how it happens. I, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what sort of adjustments, whether it's a rotational adjustment or a strategic adjustment that Tyron Lue makes, and we'll, we'll see what happens in game two. And in game one, I noticed he, he did a lot more posting up, but it's easy to double team when he's on the post and, and get out to that corner uh, shooter that's open. And that's what they were doing. If I was Ty Lue, I would put LeBron on the elbow and I would surround him with shooters. That way, if you want to double team me on the elbow, I could see the whole floor. I could hit my guys in the corner or I could hit a guy on the wing and have Tristan Thompson work the bottom of the baseline and go to work. You got isolation right there. Nobody could stay in front of you. And it's hard as hell to double-team a player at that elbow. That's what I'll do. And it's less work. You don't have to be out there on the perimeter coming off screen and rolls, trying to, you know, dribbling the ball 15, 20 times to get to the basket when you could take one dribble at the elbow and get you to the basket. And you're strong as hell. They're going to foul you. (laughs) I'm not disagreeing with anything you say. I do think, too, it's like, you know, because of Golden State's personnel, I don't know that LeBron – backing down from the wing is sort of the best use of their their skill sets as a team. And I like the idea of, of sort of facing him up at the elbow. At the elbow. Because he's such a good passer. So you, you if you do come with a double, you're, you're toast on the weak side. That's my point. I was explaining to them, um, my guys watching the game, I was like, if you put this guy on the elbow with the shooters that they have, so now you could utilize Shannon Fry. Right, because right. there's no pick and roll. You're gonna have to help because LeBron is gonna get to the basket. I mean, that's just what he. Nobody is stopping him getting from the basket. So you're gonna have to ha- hop, help off somebody. You put Kyrie in the left corner or the right corner. Put Kevin Love over there in the corner, and have Shannon Fry at the wing, and have your big man work that baseline. That's your offense right there. All man, right, we'll see if Cleveland does it. You should. If this TV thing doesn't work out, you have a future in coaching. <laughs> I hate that shit. All right, T-Mac, I appreciate the time, man. You were awesome. Right. Uh, I know our listeners will really appreciate all the all the insight you gave us. All right, man, anytime. All right, bro. I'll talk to you oh, soon. Boy. Later. It's the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Redick. Guys, let's talk about something that's very important to me as an athlete, getting a good night's sleep. 
You want to be comfortable, and Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. The mattress industry has forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams for an award-winning sleep surface that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. Plus, its breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature throughout the night. Mattresses can often cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost $500 for a twin-size mattress, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, and $950 for a king. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and free returns with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Now, listen to this part. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com JJ. Putting the JJ at the end is really important. This offer is only applicable to the purchase of a mattress. Again, it's www.casper.com JJ. And remember to use JJ. Welcome back. We're going to have our second guest this week, a bonus guest. We're joined now by Jared Dudley, the first guest ever on the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick, rejoining us for a second visit. Thank you very much, Jared. Glad to be back. Uh, I'm proud of the show. I've been listening to the other guests. Everything's been going good. Uh, I'm glad to go in-depth today of uh, some of these hot topics. <laughs> if you had to rate the Vertical Podcast on a scale of one star to five stars, what would you give it? Right now, I would say a four star. I would okay. say the reason why it's not a five. Tough grader, I like it. I like to know four. I'm gonna say this four because what I've seen that you've personally done, you're going outside the box. You're getting different guests, guests that speak their mind. Love the Jeff Van Gundy talks. Love different player personnel. How you're getting different players to kind of open up, and I think that you can just expand on it. I mean, I think the more You've already gotten so comfortable, and I think that this is early on. I think that the sky's the limit, and I think that players will will speak more candid to you than they would a journalist they don't know. So um, a four right now, you got to work your way up. You know, you went to Duke. You got a you got a couple B's before you got the A's, right? <laughs> that is true. That is true. So one of the things we're going to start doing, uh, hopefully uh, fairly frequently, but every so often, we're just going to do a quick off the court segment. And, and that's the reason that Jared is on with me today. One of the most frequently asked questions that I get from fans, sometimes friends, random strangers, is how do NBA players spend their offseason? So I'm curious, Jared, you're, you guys didn't make the playoffs. You were done in mid-April. What have you been doing for the last two months? So you have three different categories of players usually. You got the family man, you got the single man, and it all depends on your situation. So for us, for me Wait, personally, what's the, what's the third? The what's the third said, category? I'm a free agent. That's another category. So when you're in your free agency year, you tend to shed away from the workout schedule because of of injury, and you don't you don't want to get hurt. So for me personally, um, vacation 
has, is always big for me. I'm big on, when I was a kid growing up, I always wanted to see the world, didn't have enough money. Basketball helped with that. So I always try to go see somewhere. I've been to Colombia already um, so far in the summer. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'll be heading to Puerto Rico. So I'm always trying to do stuff like that. But for me personally, this has been the first off season in almost three years where I'm 100% healthy. So moving from the three to stretch four, playing both positions, this is going to be the first summer I actually can work on my game as a stretch for it. A lot of it's just been natural. So for me, working on my pick and pop, working on strength of guarding these fours and watching film and how to get better in the mid-range when you get the ball off a of pick and roll. So um, I'm very excited about that so far in the summer. Okay, so so a lot to cover here. But one of the things to start with is you're kind of in the two of the three segments that you mentioned, two of the three categories for NBA players. You're a family man. You're, you're married with kids. You're also a free agent. So you're traveling with your family. You've got basically, it's been basically about eight weeks or so since uh, your season ended. Are you spending any time right now working on your game or does that come later in the summer? Usually, I take usually about, you know, a month off. This summer, I did not do that because of my last two summers not being able to work on my game. And for me to get back, I got it after with after two weeks. Now, am I going 100%, you know, guns blazing? No, but I got in the gym around mid, uh, about, you know, early to mid-May, got, started getting after it, bringing uh, Joe Bunasar from Impact, had some of his guys come down, and I would get them hotel rooms, and we would get after it four to five times a week, shooting, lifting two to three times a week, um, so, no, I, I, I didn't really, you know, just take a whole lot of time off just because I know it's free agency year and you don't want to get hurt. But at the same time, it's time for me to work on my craft where it's when you when you kind of change positions, it, it is basketball, but you kind of how you catch the ball and how you as a shooter, as you may know, you're catching in different positions off a of pick and pop compared to a pin down. So it's about getting your technique right. And you need about three to four months to put that time in before a season. There's no question it can be very frustrating as a player to be hurt in the offseason because really the offseason is a time where you you mention it, but you, you own your craft and you work on your game and maybe you work on your weaknesses and you get in really good shape. And it's hard to do that if you have either serious injuries or nagging stuff going on. One of the things that I think a lot of people may not realize about NBA players, we're going to get to the to, to the single guys in a second, by the way, but one of the things that, that people may not realize about NBA players is that most guys don't live in the city where they play. I, I think that's probably an accurate statement, that most guys don't live where they play. They have maybe a home base somewhere. Chelsea and I, for example, have set up, you know, for the last three years, our home base has been in Austin, Texas. When we were in Orlando... I lived in Orlando year-round, and I was maybe one of two guys on my team that lived in Orlando year-round. So for you guys, I know you've been in San Diego, you've been in Vegas. Your base is where now? My home base is always San Diego. Born and raised here. If you've ever been, you know why. Probably one of the best places, not only when you're from, but just the weather, things to do. So every time when season ends within – a week or two, I'm taking my family back to San Diego right away and enjoying that time. The only time I did not go back to uh, San Diego is when I played for the Clippers and I was hurt. That summer, I stayed at the facility the whole time to rehab, and it was California, so the only thing I needed to do was make a drive. 
Most guys, though, we're going to get to the single guys now. Most single guys in the NBA that are not tied down to family, they don't necessarily flock back to their hometown like you do. And and granted, your hometown is is one of the maybe five coolest places in the United States to live. But most guys probably flock to L.A., Vegas, New York, Miami, the obvious hot spots for both athletic reasons and, of course, social reasons. That is true. I would say most are in L.A. I would say a new hot spot that people are trying to go to is Atlanta. I know a lot of my teammates uh, stay in Atlanta. I know John Wall was trying to stay there again, stay there this summer. I would say the thing about California is, you know, as you know, us athletes are spoiled. They're looking for the best. When it comes to weather, party, workouts, I don't think there's a better place in L.A. right now that's going on. Clippers have their practice facility. They open it up to players to come in there. There's games going on throughout the whole time. And when it comes to the nightlife and things to do, you see Drake, you see, you know, David Beckham, uh, these guys, everyone out here having a good time. It's just so much action. There's always something going on. It's hard to beat that, especially for a single guy as we're talking about. Um, you know, everyone likes to get their traveling in to go to Miami, go to New York. But I would say, you know, most of the league, Kevin Durant included, these guys are free agents, man. They're always in L.A. Yeah, it's really interesting how that how that works. And, and of course, you know, it, it all makes a lot of sense. One of the things for me that I always factored into my off seasons was just the convenient factor. I always wanted to be able to uh, sort of have access to a great gym to get my basketball workouts in and have a trainer uh, that could, you know, sort of meet me at whatever day and whatever time. It was very flexible. I, I worked out and lived one summer in New York City for four months, and that was the most inconvenient summer I had. And a lot of guys actually do live in New York, but you can never get consistent gym times. A lot of guys use the New York Athletic Club. My trainer, you know, he would just be calling random gyms all over the city. It's really actually hard to find a gym in New York City. You mentioned earlier Columbia. I want to hear about this trip. This was a, a guy's trip or a family trip? This what was, was this? It was a guy's trip. My best friend turned 30. Uh, Jeremy Adams, a.k.a. DJ Bamboozle. He'll love that little plug. Oh, yes. Um, I was actually going to plug him, by the way. Were you? <laughs> DJ and Bamboozle is the best. He's the best. Yes. And we try, you know what, like, uh, I have a, a set of special friends where we grew up, went to high school together. A couple of them played Division One, either basketball, other places. My other good friend played Division One football. And another one of our friends actually plays in the NFL for the Dolphins now. So, it's been cool to – we've all been successful in our own ways, personal trainer, DJ. We've all supported each other. And then once a summer, we go somewhere. Sometimes it could be exotic as Columbia. Sometimes it could just be somewhere normal where people go to Vegas. And you, we, obviously you have your couple's trip. You have just yourself, you know, just a trip with your wife. So this Columbia trip was different where you think of Columbia and in general – the first thing that comes up is Narcos, Pablo Escobar, the drug cartel. Is it safe? What's going on? And I, I've talked to some people that have been there, and apparently either Forbes or GQ magazine put it out there as like one of the top five 
best places, up, upcoming best places to stay at, to live at, and, and Medellin, basically. Um, so I went there, sightseeing, how beautiful, is phenomenal. It's not third world whatsoever. The crime, I felt safe at all times. You know, you, you stay right there, the downtown area. Um, I did the little tour of the Pablo, Pablo Escobar, you know, and they actually looked down upon him because he painted such a bad image of Colombia. You know, the outside of the U.S., we love them. We love to hear those stories. ATVing throughout their um, public transport, uh, transportation, how we have buses and coasters. Theirs is like a trolley. But if you can kind of picture like you're at the, a fair and you got the, um, the Ferris wheel going around, imagine that Ferris wheel going around high in the sky, kind of like if you're at the, at the zoo and you're taking a little ride that overlooks the whole zoo. That's how their public transportation is, which they started back in the day where the poor had to come in to work. That's how they did it. So we did that, man. It was just, it was a lot of fun. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. You just gave a nice little pitch for Colombia tourism. I know, I should so. buy a condo, right? <laughs> right, you should make an investment there. Yeah, I don't have any exciting plans because Chelsea's pregnant again. So we're going to do a, a little trip to Big Sur for three nights uh, for our, our anniversary and my birthday at the end of uh, June, at the end of this month. And then actually, my, my best friend and I have sort of taken this like guy's trip Every summer, we just pick a random U.S. city. We've done Austin because it was easy, and Chicago last summer, and and this summer we're doing uh, a quick little weekend trip in July to San Diego. So I'm gonna have to get some some recommendations from you. I got them all for you. I got them all. all right. Well, think about it. We can't feel real bad for you because we know you're living somewhere in probably Manhattan Beach over there where you're waking I up am. to the nice breeze. So you're not going on vacations. We're not gonna feel too bad for you this year. I mean. Austin, I understand you sold your home in Austin. We would feel bad if you were living, living in Austin all summer where it's hot. But right now when you walk out, you can walk the beach. No one, I don't think we're feeling too bad for you. <laughs> I'm not feeling bad for myself, and I'm not complaining. <laughs> Just to be clear with, with people, I think, too, that, that maybe the casual fan doesn't quite get. So in the off season, if you're a veteran, you literally have zero obligation to your team. The second the season is over, you can pretty much do whatever you want. You can eat donuts all day. You can not touch a basketball. You can touch a basketball every day. Um, you can go on vacation for two months. There's there's really no obligation you have until media day, which is the end of September. Very true. This is the one sport, I would say, where your free time is really free time. You know, football, when you hear about this training camp or mini camp, or it's voluntary, if it's involuntary, we don't have that. The only thing we have is summer league that you usually play your rookie year and your second year. Even if you, if, if you start on, as a rookie, you're not really playing your second year, maybe one game. So we have a whole off season where you have to have discipline, you have to be accountable for yourself. No one's going to push you. No one's going to that. And, and that's why the average career is only three, three and a half. So if you're not self-disciplined, if you're going to these cities and partying nonstop, not focusing on, on your basketball, you'll be out the league real fast. And that also thing, it, it's time for you to get better because when season ends, you really have five, six months to work on your craft. So unlike any other sport, you can see a huge jump in basketball skills where you see someone like Paul George go from where – to where he was, to when he became an all-star. You see how Steph Curry, how he came out of nowhere, because 
unlike, you know, when you play football, you hockey, you got to rest your body. Yeah, people got to rest your body, but then you really have four or five months where you can work on your craft and really get after it and come back really a whole new player. And the free time that you have, man, it's – we are, I think, probably the most blessed when it comes to everything. Baseball, they start off right away. I mean, they might get one or two months, and then spring training is right around the corner. So lots of free time. It's a blessing and a curse, I think. And it certainly is nice, especially once you have a family and kids, to be able to spend a lot of time with them during the off season because that time is missed during the season. But it's a curse because, you know, there are some – players and and I think it's just human nature who maybe don't make the best use of their time but one of the things that maybe you would agree with me on this I think as the as my career has gone on and and contracts have gone from six or seven years to five or six years to four or five years it's almost like it's putting more incentive on players to take care of themselves in the offseason more and I, I think personally I see less and less guys every year I I come in the NBA, or every year I'm in the NBA, I see less and less guys come into training camp out of shape. I agree with during our lockout, the owners were tired of paying guys five-year deals where they where they played well one or two years and then relaxed, and that was their whole thing, or vice versa. So their whole thing with fighting was to get a, to get away with that. And we kind of let them off the hook when it comes to that. And, yes, the max guys will always get that. But it used to be a lot of mid-level guys getting five-year deals. And now to the point now you're right where these years have gone shorter. The money will start going up now these next two years. And because the years are shorter, guys are not having the you know the uh, leverage in a sense of to be able to have a down year. Because you get a down year, you get traded, you're in a bad situation. So guys are coming in ready. And also I think it's – I would say guys are learning – I think we're now more health conscious than we've ever been. Yes. We're more our recovery yes. systems. I see more people with a Normatec, and if people don't know what a Normatec is, it's this machine that they put on either before or after practice instead of ice that helps circulate the blood flow in your legs to help you recover faster. Guys are – doing that they're taking care of their bodies even though i don't know if the injuries are higher but the longevity of people's careers are going to go higher because the the advance in medicine and recovery and taking care of your body and health conscious is at an all-time high at the nba level where i think that you'll start seeing guys you know that they're staying in shape longer and careers are just expanding uh that, that we've never seen before i would agree with you on that too the the advancement in medicine treatment options uh for injuries uh i think guys too have really embraced this and the league has always been to me sort of a copycat league and and you see one guy hire a trainer year round then another guy does it one guy hires a nutritionist and chef then another guy does it before you know it it's it's a pretty common thing before i let you go jared i got one question for you and that has to do with sort of being done with your season while the nba season is still going on I want to read you this tweet that I I put out the other day before game one of the finals. It says, as a basketball fan, I'm very excited for game one tonight. As a human, though, I'm jealous and hope both teams lose. And I really mean that. I have a deep-seated hatred for every player that is still playing basketball. Do you watch the playoffs? Do you continue to watch, or are you just out of sight, out of mind? I probably watch every game this year, unlike before. I would say the older I've gotten... You try to savor these moments and you're later in your, your career than you do. When, you, when you first get in the league, you know you're going to be around for a while. I've watched, and I agree with you, but disagree on this point. 
when you have a connection with someone as a player, when you person you work out with, and I see him in the playoffs. So I remember doing an, uh, I think an, an article or some interview about Kyle Lowry. That that's a guy who I work out with every summer at, at Impact in Vegas, and I see all the hard work he put in, seeing his up and down struggle. People get on him. Is he going to lose the first round? I root for him so much to do well. When you see these guys that you've seen work their butt offs and to get to where they're at, they, he lost in the first round. He comes back in great shape probably the most improved body out of the whole NBA, how he came back, and then I see him make it to the conference finals. But then you deal with teams that you dislike. And, yes, as a fan, as a player, you're, you're happy to watch the finals or happy to watch the conference finals, but you dislike this team you want them to lose so bad. So we're competitors. So I'm with you when it comes to in being able to enjoy this, and hey, but you do want these teams to lose. It would be nice if LeBron, the story goes back home and wins Cleveland and wins it again. It's a nice story with the Warriors where we got to have a villain here eventually of someone taking down these Warriors if they win another championship. So, yeah, I'm with you. I want it to be done. I want to get to the draft. I want to get to this free agency to get this thing really, really started. But uh, I'm hoping for a good finals. I'm hoping it goes down game seven and may the best team win. Yeah, I'm hoping for a good finals, I guess. But I still – I. I still hope both teams lose. I hope that somehow we figure that out. A swarm of bees or something. I don't know. I mean, for you being a Clipper fan, you, you, you cannot want the Warriors to win. Well, I, there's right? no way. I mean, I guess I guess if you had a gun to my head, I would say, ah, it'd be a great story if LeBron brought a championship to Cleveland. My dad's from Cleveland. His family lives up there. So, ah, I guess that would be my answer if I really had to say who I would want to win, but... Again, there's yeah. no like I'm not like going to be emotional if LeBron brings a championship <laughs> to Cleveland. I'm not going to not going to cheer I, I and think stand he's up. Bad for LeBron if he loses. He, he's got yeah. he's got a couple rings. I mean, exactly. I, but I I think it's always cool in sports when a team hasn't won can win, and we have different parity when it comes to you know if the Clippers had a chance to win. If someone knew where you know, I think that was a stat I saw five teams have won the championship in the last seven years. You know, like, you know, in football, you never know. It could be this. So it's tougher in basketball uh, because the, the, the parts moving and how the people stay on teams. But, um, yeah, I, I'm with you, too. If I had a gun to my head, I, I would want Cleveland. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. We're going to catch a lot of hate from Warriors fans for that. But I'm going to stand They'll be all right. Yeah, they will be all right. All right, Jared, get back to your family. I appreciate the time. And from all of us, uh, we love having you on. You're always welcome, and good luck in free agency. Hey, man, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. All right. Later, J.D. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. I'd like to thank today's guests, Tracy McGrady and Jared Dudley. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. Please tweet me, at J.J. Reddick, for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, SeatGeek, SoFi, and Casper Mattress. Be sure to support them the way they support us. I'll catch you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.